Welcome to the Trap Shooters United podcast. I am your host and owner, Joe Brumfield. I created this to help share, showcase, and support this amazing sport by talking to shooters, vendors, parents, and companies. Thank you all for listening. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at Trap Shooters United or like us on Facebook. This episode is fueled by Fioki, high-quality ammunition manufactured right in the heart of America with locations in Ozark, Missouri and Little Rock, Arkansas. I choose Fioki because it's loaded in the USA and has extremely light recoil while still crushing targets. But you may be thinking to yourself, Joe, why should I believe you? You're just a mediocre weekend shooter. And you know what? Point taken. Even though I am the Event 12 Graffin Sons Class D doubles champion, let me find someone with a lot more credibility. Hey everyone, this is Shelby Skaggs, ATA All-American, Oklahoma Trap Shooting Hall of Fame member. In our sport, being consistent is the key to success. Fioki's line of shotgun ammunition is second to none in this regard. Proven by my 772 straight in the singles competition during the 2022 Grand American, experience the Fioki difference. If you're like me, customer service is at the top of the list when it comes to buying anything. Combine that with the lowest prices and highest trade-in values, Michael Gooch with Indiana Gun Club is without question the number one choice for your next gun. With one of the largest new and used inventory selections in the country, Indiana Gun Club will have the right gun for you. If you're looking to buy your first competition gun, upgrade out of your current gun, or just simply wanting to add to your collection, Michael Gooch provides a five-star experience every step of the way. Give Michael a call at 317-502-2675 or send an email to gotgunguy43 at yahoo.com. I've personally purchased two guns from Michael, and I guarantee you're going to be treated right. Other sponsors of the podcast include AJ Supplies, Diamond 8 Leather, Herod Insurance, Shamrock Sporting Arms, and Ezox CLP and Gun Care Solution. Welcome to episode 73 of the Trap Shooters United podcast. My guest today is the 2020 World Clay Target Champion, two-time ATA All-American, a collegiate national champion. He has multiple state and satellite grand titles, AAA 27 AAA shooter. Hunter Seymour, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me this evening. Absolutely. If you want to go ahead and start us off with a little bit about yourself, uh, how old you are, where you're from, hobbies, that sort of th- that sort of stuff. Yeah. Um, so I'm from Visalia, California, originally. Uh, that's in central California, uh, just in between San Francisco and Los Angeles, a little bit more east. Right now, I'm at Texas Tech University. I'm a senior. I'm studying agricultural leadership with an emphasis in political science. And besides trap shooting and my job at uh, Corteva AgriScience, right now on the side, um, I like rebuilding old cars. I've had a 64 Chevy C10. And right now I've got a 1959 um, Chevy Apache. Okay. So do you like watching all those um, rebuild shows as well? Oh, yeah. No, I love it. Uh, Roadkill has been my yep. favorite show since I was a kid. Um, I got to meet uh, Finnegan once, and it was coming back from a trap shoot. Uh, we saw him down in uh, L.A. It was yeah. really cool. I, I Every time I find a new one or something on Netflix or Hulu or whatever, I always just watch them all in like a couple of days. Yeah. It's crazy. The amount of mechanical experience those guys have and doing that and doing that kind of work really builds character. So, Oh yeah. I mean, something will always go wrong. (laughs) 
Oh, guaranteed every time. I don't think there's ever been a time where it's worked the first time. Yeah. So you you grew up in California. Whereabout is that? So Visalia, um, I guess to be more specific, it's uh, just south of um, Fresno, California, and it's a little bit north of Bakersfield. Okay, so a little so up north. It's. I mean, if you look at a map, it is dead in the middle. Middle. Um, Sequoia National Park's right next to us. My hometown's called Gateway of the Sequoias. Okay. So I, I had the pleasure of being right next to the Sierra Nevadas. Gotcha. I I used to live in Temecula, so that was way that was way south. Uh, so you're at Texas Tech now. You're a senior. Yes, sir. And you're going there for ag leadership and uh, political science, right? Yes, sir. What do you? What's your plans after college? So after college, right now, I mean, um, I've been looking at different lobbying jobs, but at the same time, I've uh, I've come to really appreciate like the uh, the hands-on agriculture, the production side, more specifically. Um, I know going home uh, with some of my fraternity brothers, um, I got to really get hands-on experience with cattle, and then with my new job as a student researcher at Corteva. I learned a lot about the cotton industry and the research and sorghum. So I work a cotton gin uh, three days a week between okay. classes. So growing up, did you grow up on a farm? No. So um, my dad worked uh, post-harvest agriculture. So we, you know, sold, sold chemicals and that sort of deal. And the closest thing I ever got to agriculture was raising small animals. So my brother was big into rabbit breeding and I had a herd of pygmy goats, uh, some chickens, and that's about it besides, of course, you know, upland game hunting. So did you do that? Uh, a lot of 4-H stuff, I guess? Yeah. Um, so with 4-H, I did a lot of the showing uh, through 4-H. And then once I hit about high school, I think it was 2017, um, I was selected by the state of California to be the uh, national ambassador uh, for shooting sports. And they sent me to Bozeman, Montana for training. Okay. what did What did that entail? So it was just a lot of like how to deal with media, like PR, stuff like that. You know, if uh, the news comes at you because they know you're an ambassador and there is a, you know, horrific event, you know, how do you deal with that? And then how do you as a person always, you know, show the values of 4-H and then how to work with kids, mm -hmm. you know, um, you know, they're just starting, they're discouraged. How do you work with those kids and how do you build up their confidence and their character and just coach them to be just better not not better shooters specifically but just like how do you learn from your mistakes and then how do you work forward to become a better shooter kind of building up their confidence i guess yes sir gotcha um so with cart you said cart cartova is that what it's called uh, corteva corteva so you said you uh you're in uh, the cotton field 3 days a week uh, i'm in the in the cotton gen uh, during harvest last year, which started uh, around October, mid-October here in West Texas, um, I was working close to 70-hour weeks, you know, on the back of a cotton stripper collecting uh, research samples for lint and fuzzy seed. Gotcha. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to visualize all this. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's a lot, but it's, it's really simple. Um, mm -hmm. just, uh, cause it, me talking about it seems like a lot, especially, like for me, not knowing the cotton industry at all, going into it, it was overwhelming. And, you know, looking back over the last four months, it's, it's like, oh, it's a, it's a lot less complicated than I thought it would be. 
So is there anything about the cotton industry that is fascinating that like a normal person doesn't realize? I mean, it's just, it's the textile industry. So, you know, most of our clothing comes from cotton, but I mean, just being in Lubbock specifically, uh, us being hub city, um, in one of my classes last semester, they actually said most of, uh, Lubbock's, um, money and income is all from cotton. Oh, wow. And people always said cotton is king around here. And I always thought that would have been cattle or the oil and gas industry, but cotton really did really makes an impact on Lubbock oh, and wow. our, uh, our culture and our finance. that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, just me being in, in Indiana, I, I, when I think of Texas, I don't think of cotton. Yeah. <laughs> I think, yeah, of, I think just... of beef and oil, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yep. So at Texas Tech, um, obviously you're in your last year there. Uh, you're on the shooting team. Yes, sir. I'm the president. Okay. So how, how's that going so far this year? What's your team like? So I had 60 people originally, you know, they showed interest because we're a club sport. We're not mm-hmm. a, uh, we're not an official team for uh, Texas tech yet, but I had a lot of people interested and I kind of weaned it down to about 20 people that show up on a regular basis. And I'm, I'm really proud of my team because a bunch of them, you know, never shot competition. They've never had really good formal training of any kind. And I, I put in a strict routine that I learned from my dad when he was coaching my club team growing up. And, you know, I worked on the basics, the fundamentals of trap shooting and skeet shooting, which is, you know, how to place your feet, how to mount your gun, how to go through those works. And we went from a ragtag group who's trying to break good scores to us going to the, the West Coast Classic in just outside of Denver, Colorado Springs last November. And we placed second to Fort Hayes. Oh, wow. And Fort Hayes has a pretty big program. Yeah. And so we were, I was so proud of my guys because I never would have thought that we'd even come close to Fort Hayes and there was 14 other schools there and we placed second overall. Yeah. No, that's awesome. So, and I'm trying to build the program right now. We're doing a phenomenal job of getting donors and fundraising. We're having our fundraiser shoot coming up in February and my vice president and treasurer and the rest of the club, they've been doing a great job finding guys to help us out. Sweet. That's good to hear. Yeah. I, I'm proud of it. It's a lot of blood, sweat, and tears. That's for sure. <laughs> so you actually won a collegiate national championship in 20, what was that? When was it? What year was that? 2021? It was either 21 or 22. I don't remember. It was 2022. It was yeah. 2022 doubles. Yeah. Yep. Where was that at? Was that in Vegas or was that in Texas? Oh, uh, that was in San Antonio. That was for San the Antonio. ACUI Nationals. Yeah. Yep. Gotcha. What do you recall about that day? I just remember, I remember being pretty mad, honestly, because I think it was, I, I either dutched a pair, I missed just like one of my first straightaways. And I kind of remember sitting there like, man, it really sucks. But I just, I kept shooting because I never know how somebody else is going to do. And once I get mm-hmm. in that kind of funk, I just, I don't tend to do so hot. So I just kept in it and it was really cool to, cool to win it. Cause I was, I hate having that mentality of someone's always going to beat me if I miss one. But at the same time, I kept it realistic. Like, you know, there's a lot of great shooters here, a lot of really good schools and programs. And, but I was just, I was happy and blessed that I, you know, I stuck through it and I got first in that. Now, did you have to shoot off at all for that or was it, was it by yourself? So the way ACUI did it is I had to bank targets until I missed three. 
So it, it was, it was kind of odd. I didn't really get why. Cause I shot four or five boxes before they were like, okay, you won. You're good. So <laughs> that's what I remember from that. Me and my teammates were really confused, but you know, I was, uh, <laughs> brought something home for Texas tech. So, so basically it is break as many targets until you miss three. I think that's how it went that year. Cause I remember I was like, yeah. you said you guys do, you know, ATA regulations and they're like, well, on certain stuff. And I was just, <laughs> it was kind of confusing. It was me and one other kid from, I think it was Eastern Oregon university that were, he, me, he was in a different shoot off or something else, but in doubles and I was in it for champion and it was just me and him just shooting together for yeah. about 40 minutes. <laughs> That's weird. Yeah. Uh, so how did you get started shooting? Because you started registering targets pretty young. I mean, you were like, what, 11, 12? Yeah. Yeah. I was about, uh, I think I was 12 years old. Um, so that was back in 20, I want to say 2014, cause it's 10 years this year. So yeah, back in, yeah. So back in 2014, um, guy I went to church with, uh, I grew up with him. His name, his name's Kenneth and he knew I love, I love dove hunting. We always talked about our hunts, um, even when we were young and he goes, Hey, you know, I joined this this thing called trap shooting, you know, just outside of the county line at Tulare Gun Club. And I was like, you know what? Talk to my dad. I'm like, I love dove hunting so much. I love pheasant hunting. I want to give it a try. Cause my dad was always, you know, you got to be involved in something, find something you're good at. So I started trap shooting from there. And I mean, I, my first time out, I just, I absolutely fell in love with it and it just kind of took off from there. Uh, when was the earliest memory of you going dove hunting? Oh man. Five, six? Probably like preschool. I've got pictures of yeah. me with my dad and his old bird dog. We're out in the field at a dairyman's place and it's just me sitting there with my little Red Rider BB gun walking next to him out to his spot. So, I mean, it's as far as I can remember, as far as I could walk every September 1st, that was something me and my dad did every year nice uh, any favorite any any trips or anything that you guys have gone to oh just like hunting related yeah hunting related oh man um i mean dove hunts were always a hoot um i did one hunt in uh baghdad arizona um with my dad they realized that was a town <laughs> yeah no me neither me neither i was surprised to hear it's called baghdad you, you drive past nowhere and it's an old like mining town um, not too far away from like Prescott or Flagstaff, if I recollect correctly, but no, it, it was a fun hunt. It was me and my dad, my buddy Blaine and his dad, they were rabbit breeders from San Francisco. We, we grew up with and yeah, that was my freshman year of high school, I think. So we were on a muley buck hunt. I didn't realize rabbit breeding was a, was a thing. Yeah, you know, it's... I've never I've never heard that. <laughs> I've never heard rabbit and breeding in the same sentence, and here I have heard it like three times. Oh, yeah. No, it was uh, um, it was a big deal. Um, you know, funny enough, me and my brother got started through one of my dad's high school ag teachers when he was in FFA, and one of his college professors that he knew were both huge into rabbit breeding, and man, me and my brother got into that when I was in second or third grade. And at one point we had like 150 rabbits in our barn. Like we were, we were traveling not only up and down the West coast, but we were going to shows in Pennsylvania and in Texas. And it was actually in 
I think it was actually in 2014, my brother, me and my brother won the national show. <laughs> so. Wow. Yeah. So you, you breed rabbits and you, you, sh you show them just like you would show goats or pigs or, yeah, you so know, whatever. Instead of walking them, it's all based on, and it depends on the breed you have because God knows how many breeds there are. And then on top yeah. of that varieties. And we did Dutch because of, you know, my family's, uh, Dutch origins, uh, where we come from in the Netherlands. So we picked that breed and you had to be specific on how its saddle sits, just, uh, its markings on its back and its blaze on its face. Mm -hmm. And so we just happened to breed, you know, the best quality Dutch you could find. And they weren't meat rabbits by any mean. They were just, yeah, you know, pets and just high quality show, show Dutch. And I'm sure you could probably sell those too to other folks who also wanted to show. And Oh yeah. When we were going, when we were going out of business, I think we were like, we sold our, that buck that won the, uh, national show. It was a chocolate buck. Um, I think we sold him to a family up in Oregon for, you know, over, it was easily over 300 bucks. I think it was closer to 600. Yeah. Wow. Yep. So what's the, um, how many, how many rabbits can a rabbit have in a year? Oh man. I mean, if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you've ever heard the term, you know, breeding like rabbits, I mean, it is, yeah. it is a true thing. I, I think the, um, pregnancy period was close to, it was like somewhere over 30 days, but I mean, you could, we had a lot of really good litter mamas and we'd have, you know, anywhere from seven to 15 really good moms and we had good bucks and, you know, sometimes we'd buy bucks or borrow a buck just for, you know, and we'd split the litter with the original owners. Mm -hmm. And we were always pumping out babies. Always. We always had a fresh litter every time. And, you know, if they didn't have good markings, we'd sell them as pets. Or if they had really good markings, yep. we kept them for potential. Now, did you have a particular rabbit that maybe wasn't a good show rabbit, but you kind of got attached to and kept like as your own personal pet? Yeah. So actually after we, um, after me and my brother were getting out of showing, uh, my dad's high school ag teacher, uh, Mr. Schmall, um, he's the one that originally got us into it. He passed away and his wife, we helped his wife get rid of, you know, all of their show stock. And they gave us, she, for whatever reason gave, we were completely out of the business. She gave me and my brother her last steel Dutch buck and he only had a tattoo identification, no name. She said, take him, don't need him. And we weren't going to get rid of him because that was Fred's last one. So that was my rabbit, Mark Twain, up until I, I had that thing probably since middle school all the way through, I think, until I went to Texas Tech in 2020. Oh, wow. So, I mean, they lifespan of a, of a rabbit, five, six years? You know, sometimes it can surprise you. Sometimes they could drop dead from the heat. Other times they can be eight, nine years old. They oh, can wow. They can live a long time. And Mark Twain wasn't. Old man. So <laughs> Mark Twain. <laughs> yeah. He was one of my favorite authors as a kid. So anytime I hear the word Mark Twain now, big rabbits is gonna pop up. <laughs> <laughs> so started shooting young, obviously, always always went hunting. Uh, as far as trap goes, what were your gun progressions? Like what did you start with and then take us through what you're shooting today? Yeah, so I think I if I remember correctly, I started, started with an old Remington 870 pump as a lot of people do. And then I went into a, and it was a 20 gauge. And then I got a, I think some Mossberg semi-auto 
And then from there, I got into brake opens. I got a Remington Spartan 700, little 20 gauge over and under. That thing kicked like a mule, but that is still one of my favorite field guns to this day. And I made the big switch at a state shoot. It was my first state shoot, I think in 20, 2015, my first state shoot. My, no, my gun what was broke. your first what was your first state shoot? Where was it at? Uh, California State Shoot in uh Kingsburg. And that was my first state shoot, that gun broke. And there happened to be a guy sitting there named Fred. And he had a huge table full of guns. And the one that just popped at me the most was a Parat CTM one. Mm-hmm. And my folks got me that gun and that kind of started my Parazzi addiction at that point. I knew I'd never switch companies. Um and after that TM1, I kind of grew out of it. I started shooting doubles more. I realized like, hey, you know, once I get into college, I'm going to have to shoot skeet and sporting clays. So in 2016, um, a good friend of mine, uh, Joe Dillard, I got my Prozzi NX3. Mm-hmm. And I've been shooting that gun ever since. Do you still have the TM1 or did you did you sell it or trade it off? Oh, uh, oh I still, I've still got the TM1. That's, okay. my, uh, that's my dad's backup gun now. So, so you got the MX3. Um, tell us about your MX3 fixed chokes. I assume. Yeah. So it's well, it's got fixed chokes originally. So you know the the Prozzi stock extra full and then improved mod extra full bottom for the doubles. And then I went out and I bought a set of double barrels, um, and you know got them choked out, Briley thin walls, and that's what I use for skeet and sporting clays for ACY shooting. Okay. So you have the over and unders that you use for trap, and then you have another set of over and unders for skeet and sporting. Yes, sir. Gotcha. Same receiver, same stock. Exactly. Yeah, nothing else changed. Just uh, I bought an extra barrel. Yeah. So um, as far as point of impact, where is it shooting on the uh, trap side? I want to say, I think last time I checked, it was 80-20. Yeah. Pretty normal. So about 80-20. Um after some uh, insane weight loss and you know my gun messing up i i messed with it too much and uh i was shooting about it went down to 50 50 and then i adjusted it and then it was shooting like 120 it was it was wild but this winter break when i went home uh i got it readjusted by a gentleman named dale tate and he that guy is nothing short of a wizard when it comes to working on guns he can make any gun fit anybody hmm. so, so as far as your stock setup then i'm assuming adjustable comb adjustable butt plate or yes yeah, sir so yeah i got the adjustable comb and then the butt plate is one of the screw in ones so you know you can cant it either way but i also added a lot of length to it because hmm. i'm not super tall I'm, I'm only six one but i had a habit of crawling my stock really bad and Anyone that's ever seen me shoot or shot with me, they can attest that I'd just, I'd crawl that stock, you know, till, you know, <laughs> that, that switch was hitting my nose. So, <laughs> so as far as your hold and look points, kind of take us through each discipline where you're holding and as far as the house goes, where you're looking, that sort of stuff. So. The way my, my coach, uh, Steve Floyd, the way he, the way he taught me to do it, you know, when I just, I come up, I mount my gun and I just, I just bring it to the, right on top of the trap house. And while it's there, my eyes are just, 
just looking up. I'm not looking at anything in particular, just a soft gaze. Just, you know, whichever post I'm at is where I set my gun and then I rest my eyes. And I call pole. And one of the best things I ever learned was, uh, you know, you know, you got to see the bird to shoot the bird, but you also got to let that bird pass your barrel. Cause for me, I just know if I immediately swing at it without really taking the time to comprehend where it's going, I'm going to fly by it. So yep. just, you know, eyes are steel, your gun is steel. You just, you let that process work out. Two eyed shooter, uh, I suppose. Oh uh, yeah. Both eyes open. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. And I shoot lefty, so left eye dominant. Okay, uh, so are you are you right handed though? Yes, sir. Well, I can right either one, but okay, just left eye dominant. So I just, I shoot left, but I can shoot either or. Okay, so like if you were say throwing a baseball, which which hand would you use? Oh yeah, I'd use my right. Okay, like I draw a pistol from my right. So, so did you now? Did you when you started? Did you start shooting immediately from your left? Just from like hunting, you kind of knew, or did you try right first and then made the switch over? So my dad started me on right, and I just, I don't really remember it being so young, but I just remember complaining to my dad and, you know, not only saying it hurt, but I said, it doesn't feel right. It's uncomfortable. I kept doing stuff with my head and I just grabbed it, switched it to my left and mounted it. And my dad said, you know, do what's comfortable and shot a few dove and he was like, all right, you're a lefty. Cool. <laughs> you can keep doing it now. <laughs> yeah. He was like, yeah, just run along with it. It works. So yeah, you're a little above the house then as far as your height. Yeah. I mean, just like my beat, that front beat is just right level it. with that house. Yeah. Gotcha. What about handicap? Is it about the same or does it go even lower? Oh, it's exactly the same. I don't, exactly I don't same. switch. I shoot handicaps like I shoot singles. I don't shoot it well, as well as singles, of course, but I'm, it's either I've got it or I'm just, I'm falling apart when it comes to <laughs> handicaps. So no in between. No, sir. What about doubles? Same? Doubles. Yeah. I mean, and the way, like I said, Steve Cloyd, uh, he's best coach I've ever had. I've, I've known him for years and he, uh, he taught me with doubles, you know, you always shoot the straightaway first, you know, on post one and two. You want to shoot that right target first and then swing into your left. And then I shoot, you know, still the right target on three. So one, two, and three, I shoot the right bird first and swing into the left. And then on four and five, I start with, uh, start with the left and then swing into the right. Now, when you're, when you're making your swing over, are you looping down and up? Or are you just kind of going straight over? I wouldn't say I loop down like aggressively. I've seen some people when they shoot, they'd like drop all the way down yeah. and come back into it. Um, when I, when I tell people that I'm coaching like for doubles, I just tell them to kind of do like the Nike swoosh. So it's like just mm -hmm. a little bit down. So your eyes, so as you come down just slightly, your eyes have time to catch that target and then you just swing right back into it like you normally would. Yeah. Um, so what do you see when you mount the gun? Are your beads stacked or the, is there any space between them? I had honestly, um, I don't notice my beads at all. Like when I yeah. mount my gun, it's just. I can tell it's there. It's like your mm -hmm. nose. Like, you know, it's there. You, know, you got to focus on it to see it. But I mean, for me, it's just, I'm out my gun and it's just the trap. Don't, don't even think about it. Yeah. It's just, I mean, it's just the amount of repetition I've had. And as long as I've been shooting as hard as I've been shooting, it's just, it's, I mean, the, the gun is the extension of myself. Yep. 
So now when you're shooting like skeet or sporting, uh, is there any, is there anything you do as far as look wise or anything between the two disciplines? Uh, skeet and sporting. Um, I would say for sporting, it definitely depends on like where the target's coming from. Like it's mm-hmm. over your shoulder, you know, sun's in your eyes, any of that stuff. But I mean, for skeet, I kind of just wind up to it and I kind of give myself a little bit of room, let that target pass my barrel. And then I just do the rest from there. I think skeet's, skeet's pretty easy. I've never run a perfect hundred, but I mean, it's, it's simple. It's the same two birds every time. Mm-hmm. I just, I got to discipline myself better. I'll give that to skeet shooters. They are well-disciplined individuals to be able to not get lazy on those same yeah. two shots. What about uh, sporting? What's your highest score in sporting? Man, uh, I think it's got to be the mid-90s, I think. Yeah. And which sucks is because in California, one of the closest uh, clubs to me was somewhere near Bakersfield. It was Mad Dog or something like that. I don't remember specifically. It was a long time ago. That was one of the hardest sporting clay courses in the state, um, from what I've heard. And that was before I even had coaching and sporting. I didn't do too hot. And then where I'm at in Texas, um, you know, hub, uh, hub city shooting sports that it's, it's a rough course. And anybody that's from the Midwest or especially West Texas, they know that wind can be aggressive and it catches those sporting clay targets and it'll 40 feet out before you should or 40 yards before you should even be close it just goes away from you <laughs> so i'm i'm glad i get to practice in some of the the worst terrain for sporting clays for yeah. sure in the state yeah i need to i need to go try sport i've never shot sporting or ski so i need to i need to i really don't have an interest in ski it's just i don't know it just yeah. does, doesn't my thing but I, i'd like to go try sporting sometime yeah sporting clays is it's like golf with a shotgun i think yeah it's it's fun. It definitely challenges you. I've, I've definitely known a lot of folks, buddies I've grown up with that are, uh, they're good sporting clay shooters because they're, you know, waterfowl hunters. They're used to those, how far to lead, you know, that mm-hmm. depth perception, I guess. And I'm just used to the same old target, just rising out in front <laughs> of me, going away, <laughs> not playing how low can you go? Yeah. Now, um, in 2017, I noticed just looking at your shoot ATA stuff, you went from the 21 and a half to the 27 and <laughs> yes, just, just, just a few months, a few months span. It was about eight it, months or six yeah. or eight months. If I remember right. It, do you recall what kind of clicked for you at that point to make such an aggressive move? Man, I, I don't remember what the click was. I remember it started, it started at the, it was either the Arizona state shoot or the autumn grand. I know for sure it was in Tucson. And I just remember just one day, um, I forgot what, how I shot that day, but I remember going from the 21 to the 23 and something just kind of clicked. And every shoot after that, from that shoot in Tucson, to Vernal at the the Western Grand, it was just every shoot I was shooting lights out in handicap for whatever reason. So yeah, you broke, you broke a ninety eight in Tucson. I think that was the Autumn Grand. Yeah, um, and then you have back to back in Arizona, maybe this uh, Arizona State shoot, probably March April time frame. Yep. 
97, 98 on back-to-back handicap days. Yeah. And then you you finish it off with a, with a 97 in Vernal. Yep. That was, Vernal was special to me because that was, um, you know, that was where Sean Holly always was. And mm-hmm. growing up being in California, like Sean Holly is just one of those legends because he's from California originally. Mm-hmm. And just hearing about him and watching him shoot as a young kid, it was, it was just the coolest thing in the world to me. It's like watching yep. one of your heroes and getting to meet him. And he is, his family, so nice. Like the Holly family, just amazing people. And he's so encouraging. And after I made it to the, you know, to the 27 yard line, uh, he personally walked up and gave me a 27 pin and shook my hand. And that was, that's one of the highlights of my shooting career for sure. I remember that so well and just that shoot in general, but yeah, Mr. Holly has had a huge impact on me in my career. Yeah. So that's awesome. I've always looked, I've always looked up to him since I've, I've seen his face in like the California hall of fame. Mm-hmm. So any other highlights from that, from that shoot in particular that, that you can recall? Oh, um, I remember, I remember struggling with the wind quite a bit. Um, I have a love hate relationship with Vernal. That was the only time I ever went, but it reminded me of like shooting at the coast, just like how the wind can change depending on mm-hmm. what house you're at on that hill. And, but I think the highlight for me for sure was just the, uh, the people. Cause that was one of my first times ever really leaving the West mm-hmm. to go to a big shoot like that. And the people just the other kids, cause in California for a long time, a lot of kids didn't like me. They didn't like talking to me just because of how I shot. Like I, I doubt practice anybody I could mm-hmm. and meeting, meeting kids that were like me in that sense that like they're here to shoot. They're not. You know, they're, they're here to win, yeah. but they're here to shoot and they're going to be respectful and cordial about it. And that sportsmanship that I had with that group, uh, Dalton Van, um, I think Grayson Stewart was there. Hunter Howe was there. Um, just the sportsmanship between those guys was just, it was honestly life-changing because of just how nice they, they treated me. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's so. funny how like sometimes like when you're a, a good shooter, people immediately like don't want to talk to you or associate with you because there's there's like a jealous factor there, right? But they you don't know for sure. Yeah. They don't know the amount of work and effort that you put in to obtain that level. Yeah, and I mean since yeah, for a long time um bouncing between youth teams in my in my home county, it was always I wanted to practice more than anybody. You know, we'd have practice on on Saturdays, but I was out there on Sundays as well, putting in mm-hmm. another, you know, three boxes. And when we finally got to Kingsburg uh, to start that club there and we became members of the gun club, I I took practice like it was like Sunday church. It mm-hmm. was straight religious to me. Practice and competition had no difference. I was there to crush every target and just become an absolute machine to the best of my abilities and when i started soaring past other kids and scores and averages they're like how are you doing it and it's like well you guys are coming out here you know maybe on thursdays you'll be here on saturdays shoot two boxes and go home i'm shooting four boxes three to four days a week yeah and you're not out there laughing and joking and you know messing around 
Yeah. And, you know, I'd, when I get there, I'd just be serious. I'd shoot my four boxes. And if, you know, if my buddies are still hanging around after I'm done shooting my guns put up, I'll, I'll go horse around and go hang out with my buddies. But yeah, it was, it was very serious for me. And it kind of made me sad that no one else took it as serious as me. But looking back, I'm kind of like, you know, there's a reason I think I was able to do the things I did. And it's because I gave up on my social life through high school. Yeah. Now, as far as when you were running hard, all American teams, what were, what was your typical practice routine? Like, like when you went out there, were you shooting singles, handicap and doubles, or were you shooting, you know, a hundred or 200 of one event? And then the next time shooting the other event, were you playing any games like, like, uh, move, moving back or moving up or, you know, certain pose, that sort of stuff. Yeah. So before certain shoots, um, I always keep a shooting journal in my, uh, my shamrock bag. I always have, um, depending on how I do it, one state shoot or just any shoot in general. If, if I realize I'm struggling with a certain target or if it was just a minor mistake, I can look back and review it and, you know, work on it in the next practice. And, um, like for instance, one shoot I've, I've been going to a lot since I moved out here was the Oklahoma state shoot. Mm-hmm. And leading a week leading up to it, if I didn't have work, I'd take, you know, six boxes of shells and I'd shoot, you know, I'd shoot singles. Uh, If I missed one, I'd essentially mentally mark that off and start over again. I wouldn't leave till I shot 100 straight. Okay. And then I'd go home next day, I'd go out and I'd do 75 handicaps and I'd shoot, you know, three to four boxes of doubles. So I just just repetitive practice and if let's just say i was struggling with a hard left on singles or handicaps um what i would do is i would just take one microphone and go to post five where that hard left looks like a straightaway and i'd shoot shoot at that target three times i'd move to four and so the angle starts getting slightly more dramatic as i go and let's just say i make it to two and i finally miss one i start over again and I just keep doing that until I get that rhythm of how to swing at a hard left mm-hmm. until I'm just smoking them, standing on one. Now, would you would you lock the trap on for that hard left? Yeah, yeah. So okay. I'd, I'd lock it on that hard left, and that's and once I got comfortable and I could sit there and I could shoot a full box, just on post one shooting screaming hard lefts. If I could smoke a whole box, then I'd set it to regular oscillating and I'd continue with practice. Mm-hmm. So now uh, take us to the 2020 Grand. Uh, that was the one in Missouri, if I'm not mistaken. Yep, in Lynn Creek. What do you recall about that um, shoot up until the clay target? So, I mean, to me, it just it felt like an average shoot. You know, I shot pretty decent. I remember I won some some trophies at like the AIM Grand the week before. Um, Doubles championship of of the AIM. Yeah. And a high all around runner up. Yep. Okay. So you're shooting, you're shooting pretty good before, before the grand, obviously. Yeah. And, and that was, that was, you know, summer 2020. And before I get into the grand, like COVID saved me, completely saved me. It gave me the opportunity to travel. I got to go to a lot of great shoots because of COVID. Because I told my, my teachers in high school, I was like, hey, I'm not going to do this homework you're giving me online. You can either uh, give me an A or I'm not going to do the homework. 
either way, I didn't care. <laughs> and I think five out of six of them gave me A's. <laughs> and I think the other one gave me a C. So, so was that, was that your, are you, were you a senior then or a junior? Yeah. So I was senior. a graduating senior in 2020. Okay. So, and I shot all summer before the grand. Going to the grand, you know, it wasn't really memorable. It's just, uh, it was me shooting with uh, some guys from the Kingsburg Gun Club back home. And it was, I was shooting, it was me, my buddy Colton Tucker, uh, my coach Steve Cloyd, uh, Gary Beer, and Clyde Ulrich. Those, those are the guys we were shooting with. And the one main thing I remember about that shoot was Champion of Champions. That was the one event I loved always shooting that. I was wearing mm-hmm. that. That California banner on my back was always so special to me. And I, you know, I signed in, they gave me my banner, went shot champion of champions. And if I remember right, I got a 99 or a hundred in the event. I remember I won it and I was ecstatic and I went up and I was like, Hey, you know, I'm here to collect my trophy for champion of champions. And they said, Oh, sorry, you're disqualified. So they disqualified me from the event. And I was like, what what do you mean I'm disqualified? And they're like, you never paid, never paid for the, <laughs> for the event. And I was like, you handed me my banner first off and registered, registered me for that shoot. And you didn't take payment. I, and I asked them, I said, Hey, do I owe anything? Nope. You're good. And I got disqualified for their mistake. Um, the pres, the president of the ATA at the time, cause we, me and my coach and my dad, we made a huge fuss about it. Because, you know, it was wrong. It was their mistake, and I was getting punished for it. And the president of the ATA pulled us aside and pretty much told us, there's nothing we can do. Buzz off. Like, better. And he looked at me, patted me on the shoulder, and said, better luck next year, kid. <laughs> and, I mean, I'm emotional about this sport. It's It was my life. It still yeah. is. I remember going outside of that clubhouse, and I just, I sat there and cried. Cause it hurt so bad that the one event I wanted to win so bad was just stripped from me because of someone else's mistake. Yeah. And I remember very well, my buddies, Hunter Howe and Hunter Morton, they, they pulled me aside and they said, Hunter, you know what you got to do now, right? And I'm just sitting there teary eyed and like, what? And they said, you're going to win it all tomorrow. It's singles. It's champion. Or it's not champion champions, but it's the uh, world clay target. They said, you're going to show that president what he did. And I just, I remember waking up that next morning, just, I, I don't know how, how to describe that feeling, but it was just controlled anger is the best way to put it. Like that, that fire is there. It's like having a, it's like having a furnace, like. And you just, you close that door. It doesn't look hot, but you, you open that door and it's going to be white flame shooting out. And that's how I felt shooting the entire thing. And after I broke the 200, my dad, you know, he gave me a big hug and everyone hugged me, congratulated me. Hunter Howe and Hunter Morton came back up and they were like, you've got a job to do. And few people really came up to me that I, I wasn't that well known. But the, the community from California, like Jimmy Heller, Chayton Vega, you know, Sean Holly, those guys, they, they didn't say much. Mm. They just came up, either shook my hand, patted me on the shoulder, and they just kind of nodded and said, do, you're going to do what you got to do. Like, do what you do best. And I remember 30 minutes before that shoot off, 
I was sitting there on my dad's tailgate of his pickup in that humidity. And I just remember sitting there praying. You know, I, I didn't say, Lord, I, I want to win. I just said, Lord, if you give me this victory this evening, I know someday, somehow down the road, you know, I'm going to use this to further your glory. <laughs> you have plans. I said, if I'm, you know, if I miss and drop out, so be it. But if, if you help me, if, if it's not, if you do this for me, it's if you help me with this, because I just knew nothing's possible without God. And I knew, especially then I would need strength like I've never had. And I just remember that shoot off being surreal. I just, I felt like I could go forever. And men mentally, it was just, I was fortified. I was locked in with my music and I was just ready to kill. I mean, you, you probably, there was, you know, be, having that happen to you the day before it, I mean, you probably went into like a, a, a hyper focus, you know, st state. Like, I mean, we, we've all experienced oh, yeah. something along those lines shooting. It, it's, it's hard to explain, but like everything slows down, everything gets a little bit bigger and it just, it, it was, it's your day, you know? Yeah. And it, it was almost like I had that almost adrenaline, but not that rush. It was just, my mm -hmm. body was strong and I felt strong, but then just that almost out of spite, almost a spiteful thought. But at the same time, it was just a, you did this to me. This is what you're going to get. Yeah. This is the reaction for what you caused. And I guarantee you, if I would have won champion of champions, I wouldn't have had that mentality and that fortitude to win the, to win the world clay target. But just having that, just that ambition to prove everybody wrong was mm -hmm. what drove me. And that's always has been what's driven me. It, it just felt like everything up until that point was like, I was meant to do this. Everyone that ever doubted me, you know, left me alone and, uh, you know, ridiculed me. It was just the people that were there supporting me, I knew they were there. Like, mm -hmm. and I was happy for it, but I was just, part of me was like, those, those guys back home, and the people, people that doubted me, they're going to see me on that magazine cover. Yeah. Now so I, I put myself into that focus. I just, I was driven. I counted earlier. There was, I believe 31 200s that day. So what? Take us to the shoot off. Like how, how many rounds did you go? Who was kind of there? towards the end with you if, if you can remember man i remember i don't really remember people specifically um i remember i can't remember the gentleman's name he's from uh tennessee him and his dad they were great guys his his boy was in the shoot off his boy's my age he shoots for a, a college somewhere back east and he i remember him shooting on a different field and he dropped out and i just remember sitting there like i'm, I'm sad he's gone but i'm still gonna go his, him and his dad, super supportive. I still see them at shoots are great. Um, I remember, you know, Ian, I think Ian Lawrence was in it for a while and he dropped out, I think in the first 50, cause the sun was still up. So he dropped out in the first 50. Um, some other really good shooters were in there that I can't remember for sure. But I remember just seeing, you know, seeing the guys, everyone talks about standing around, putting their guns down. 
And I mean, it just seemed like in a blink of an eye, I went from shooting with the, you know, all these, uh, posts filled to just mm-hmm. me and one other guy. Yeah. Foster Bartholo was, he finished runner up. Correct. Cause I think so the I, gentleman I shot off against got, uh, junior. Gotcha. So, but yeah, I just, I don't even remember cause he missed one and it was like his third to last he missed. So I broke my second to last, he broke it. And then I broke my last target and I caught that shell and then it just finally clicked in my head as I, I caught it and I just went, oh shit. <laughs> <laughs> like when I just like kind of sat there and I was like that, that just happened. And I remember he shot his, he shot his last shot and just that applause and one of the first people to come up and shake my hand besides, you know, the folks working the refs, mm-hmm. um, Sean Holly. Yeah. He was the first one there. And after that, I mean, I've got it on video, just all these people just shaking my hand and just hugging me and just this community, people I've never met, Mm -hmm. just they're, they're happy. I won and hugging my dad and my coach was just, oh man, cause Mike, cause when I started, you know, I was, you know, 12 year old chubby little kid from Visalia, California who's never shot trap before. And then six years I was going off to college and just won the world clay target. <laughs> so I can't imagine what it was like for my dad and my coach. Oh yeah. Just must've been surreal. That, that just goes to show like how focused you were not realizing really what you did until after you caught your shell versus sitting there yeah. going, okay, well he just missed one. Now I can't miss one. <laughs> Yeah. And I didn't have, it was just, and that's, that's not the, after that, it wasn't the first time like shoot offs like that have caught me by surprise. You know, I've, you know, like California state shoot, I, two guys are shooting off against have both dropped like one or two and I was still ready to shoot. And they're like, Hunter, you're, you're good. You won. And I was like, what? And they're like, you won. You're good. And I was like, oh, wait. <laughs> so, yeah. so once I get into that mindset, it's just like, I just, I'm there. It's like Forrest Gump. You have to hold up signs yeah. telling you to stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. I got my magic shoes <laughs> and it's just, I keep going. So you have seven total 200s, right? Yes, sir. That I, that I can remember. We, uh, do you recall when your first one was? I do. Uh, Fresno, California. Um, it was at the Fresno gun club or Fresno trap ski club, whatever it's called. Fresno trap and ski. It was pouring rain, freezing cold, and hailing. Uh, the epitome of miserable in Central California. Great for waterfowl, not so much for trap. And this was, I want to say 2019. It was either 2019 or 2020 I did this. Um, it was me, a bunch of old veteran shooters from California, my buddy Clayton Pennebaker. And shooting that first, I ran that first 100 straight. And I got done. My clothes were soaking wet. I mean, you were just, there's no way you couldn't stay dry. And I I was one of, I was the last squad to shoot. So I ran my hundred, got back in to get warm and get fed. My buddy Wyatt, he ran a hundred. And I was like, okay, this would be an interesting day. Cleared up a little bit. Wyatt went out and shot. He ran a 99. And as I was getting ready to shoot, you hear everybody cheering and I was just like, 
he either ran his 200 or he, you know, he did really well. And he, somebody just walked right up to me and they're like, you got to, they said, he shot a 199, you got to run it. And this weather's coming down. And I kind of sat there and I was like, thanks, you know, <laughs> I'll, I'll do what I got to do. And of course that weather hit hard again. I mean, sideways hail. And I just, I just kept calm. I kept in it. I just kept shooting, shooting. And I was on my last box for that 200 and I just people just surrounded that whole little area at that club, just watching me shoot. And I broke that 200 and people just went ballistic <laughs> because of how bad the weather was. I still ran the 200 and I beat my buddy for, you know, for first with his 199. And he was like, Hunter, I love you. You're a great shooter, but I hate you. <laughs> so that, that first 200, I mean, after that, it just, my career kind of just took off the 200 straights and how long I could stay and shoot offs running straights and stuff like that. So where was your longest shootout shoot off at? Cause I think he was over, over 600. Yes. Um, well that led into the 600. Um, that was at Redlands. I believe it was the, it was the 2019 Western zone. So that day what happened was they, um, they had me winning. I had a 199 or 198. I think it was 199. I dropped my 13th bird out and they were like, all right, Hunter, you know, you're in a shoot off for first place AAA. Like, cool. Who am I shooting off against? They're like, Sean Hawley and Gary Benetti. Oh, great. <laughs> I just about like, you know, peed myself hearing those two names. And I'm like, well, I'm going to give it my all. So I went out, ran a 50 straight. And they're like, congrats. These two guys dropped one. You're good. Packed up my stuff. Just about to leave for supper because I haven't eaten all day. And they call over the radio of the club. They're like, Hunter, we need you back. Wrong shoot off. I was like, okay, <laughs> get back with all my gear. And there's already a crowd sitting there waiting for me to shoot. And they're like, all right, Hunter, you're shooting off against a guy in Utah. He's already 50 targets ahead of you. Go. I'm like, all right, ran another 50 straight and come back. He's still 50 ahead of you. Okay, run another 50. Come back. And they're just like, he's ahead of you. So I'm just, at this point, I just tune everyone out and I'm just shooting. I'm just, I'm going. And people are just watching because I'm the only one shooting and I'm just breaking them one after the other. And finally, um, Grayson Stewart's dad, Mike, he calls, he calls up my old man. Mike goes, Hey Travis, uh, watching this guy shoot. And I was like, all right. He goes, you just dropped two. Hunter has to run, you know, he just has to get a 24 and he'll be good. Yeah. My dad doesn't tell me anything cause he knows better and just leave me alone while I'm shooting. And I'm going along and I just, I kind of lost track of how many I was shooting. I was just so hungry and exhausted. I was just like, I'm staying in it just so I might get a good dinner if I win. <laughs> That's the only <laughs> thing I was thinking about. Gonna make dad take you to steak dinner. Exactly. Just having a good supper. And I remember I just, I broke that last 25, got my shell and I'm walking back and I'm just tired and everyone's just clapping. And I just grab another box, tear it up, and they're like, no, 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 you're done. And I was like, what do you mean I'm done? And they're like, you did it. And I'm like, 300 straight, who cares? Hearing that now, I'm kind of like, I would have been ecstatic. I yeah. should have been. But I was just, I was in that zone, and I was just like, I got to keep shooting. Like, no, you won. And I was like, oh. And I think the first thing I said to my dad was, can we get dinner now? That was the first <laughs> thing I said. And at, at that point, that's when uh, 
I think a lot of folks in California started to notice that, you know, I had potential and, you know, I might've, I might start getting good at singles, especially from a lot of the older gentlemen. And yeah, that's, that summer was kind of how I went into my, uh, my current, uh, singles record, which is six, six, six. <laughs> kind so, of a bad, bad number to land on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But I, I thought about that. There's a, there's a quote I like, uh, and you know, old writer philosophers name is Voltaire. He always said, uh, if you want to succeed, you have to have the devil in you. Or if you want to succeed in the arts, you got to have the devil in you. So I like that idea because it's how focused I get and how passionate I am. I don't condone Satan or the devil at all, but it's just, I, I thought that that record or my straight and that quote fitting. So, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Especially when you got to, when you got to hold up the sign to tell you this, to stop. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Now, a year after that, at the 2021 grand, you broke your high score from the 27, which is a 99. Yes, sir. I know you know which one you missed on that one. You want to know which one it was? Yeah. First bird out. <laughs> no way. If I, yeah, I, I'm like 99% sure it was my first bird out. I just, I just remember shooting that shot, looking at my buddy Tucker, and he was just like, what are you doing? And I looked at my dad and he was just like, shoot him. So I was just <laughs> like, at this point, I'm like, I can't be mad. My average isn't that high. It's handicap. I'm just going to shoot. And I just remember when I got to like that, that hundredth, like that, that final box, I kind of looked at my buddy Tucker and he was kind of like, he just kind of gave me that thumbs up. My other, everyone else nodded at me and I was just like, I'm going to clean it up. Walked away with a 99. I still don't know how I did it, honestly. <laughs> but I was like, you know, I'm I'm definitely going to take it. I ain't going to complain. Yeah. But it was just like I said, it's one of those deals where it's uh, when you're hot, when you're when you're hot, you're hot. When you're not, you're not. Yeah, that that is my motto for handicap for sure. So in handicap, you're shooting your over and under. Uh, any particular barrel that you like better than others? Are you shooting obviously the the full or? Oh yeah, I just it's a 34 inch barrel fixed extra full. Gotcha. So I use that for singles and calves. Oh, so you have a single barrel for? Yeah, yeah. For so handicap. I got. Uh, so it's just so three barrels total. One barrel, it's a, it's just a top like regular old top single barrel. No. Mm -hmm no under and it's just a 34 inch stock Prazi MX3 barrel and then gotcha. I've got the two double barrels one that's choked and then one that's uh, factory um, factory Prazi gotcha misunderstood you earlier yeah um, you haven't shot too much since the 2021 target year do yep. you have any plans this year maybe uh, attending some shoots yeah, um, so I'll be, yeah, actually this weekend I'll be in San Antonio for the ACY regionals. Um, then after that in March, um, I'll be in San Antonio again for nationals. And then if I've got time, um, I really want to go to the Oklahoma State shoot again. That's mm -hmm. one of my favorite state shoots. Uh, the people there, they're just, they're friendly. I get to see my friends. Uh, I mean, that's where uh, 
you know, Kaya Funkhauser, um, Shelby Skaggs, um, those are kind of my running buddies when I'm up there. Clay Laughlin, uh, Clayton McGee, Peanut, Hoot of a Time. So those are the guys I like seeing when I go up there. Um, I'm, I'm going to try to hit that, but of course with, I've got a job. My folks don't help me out much, except for yep. shells. So I'm on my own. I pay, you know, I pay for the roof over my head. I pay for my own gas, food. I, I pay for it all. So working a full-time job over the summer is kind of my priority before I can yep. afford to, to travel. But once I've, once I got my feet firmly planted somewhere with a good career, I definitely plan on just shooting as much as I can. Yeah. It's just now, hard with the uh, summer school classes. I plan on taking 12 hours in June and 12 hours in July. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. That'll, that'll keep it pretty busy. Summer, summer classes and a job. <laughs> it doesn't yeah, leave so, too much time for anything else. Yeah. About 65 hours a week. And then on top of a regular school schedule. So, so I went to the Oklahoma state shoot in 2003 it's my understanding that that clubhouse was taken out by a tornado. It was. I was <laughs> I was in diapers when when you were there. <laughs> I was in diapers, but uh, yeah, no, you can still see all the damaged uh, um, trap houses, and they did a phenomenal job rebuilding, and they they had support from from other uh, trap clubs. I don't remember off the top of my head, but they did have support. They built a beautiful new clubhouse, and. Yeah, they're still working on getting those trap fields up and running. And even, you know, even with that, all that damage and with the loss of trap fields, it, they are still in a very efficient club. Like they run a really good shoot. So I like, liked it from what I remember. The background was really nice. You could see yeah. like jackrabbits in the background hopping around and doing their thing. Yeah. So it was, it definitely wasn't boring as far as mm -hmm. scenery goes. Yeah, no. And it's just, uh, yeah, kudos to the people that run that club. Um, next time I'll actually have a checkbook instead of running to the gas station for cash. <laughs> but yeah, no, it's, um, I think besides, you know, the California state shoot, which is, I think that'll always be my, my personal favorite state shoot. I got to say like Oklahoma is just, uh, one of my favorites and I haven't gone to too many. I really want to broaden out, but you just, the Oklahoma Trap Shooting Association, they've, they said at one of their state meetings, they're not the biggest association, but it's, it's quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. And that is for sure. Like, I think they dominate in that area. They have some of the best shooters in, I think in the ATA oh, yeah. just coming yeah. out of Oklahoma, even though it is the biggest county in the state of Texas, it's, I still have a lot of respect for those yeah, Oklahoma no, trap shooters. There's a ton of good shooters in Oklahoma. Yep. Past past or present for that matter. Oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I'm I'm happy that I've gotten to either shoot on squads with them or being, you know, shoot off against them. Um it's humbling and I yeah, I appreciate them a lot. I learn I learn a lot, a lot of things about myself and the game every time I go up there. Yeah. Um, now, is there a place that you have not shot at that you would like to go shoot at? Oh, that's a good one. Like um, number, like your number one pick. You know, everyone has always, from what I've heard, 
for me, it's a toss up between, I would say it's a toss up wherever they shoot the state shoot in Kansas. Um, I'm not sure where that's at specifically mm-hmm. or the, um, man, the, uh, Pennsylvania state shoot, whichever, cause I hear so many good things about those clubs and those two are on my bucket list for sure. Yeah. Cause I've already, I'd like to go to Pennsylvania too. Yeah. I, I really want to go to that state shoot cause I hear a lot about it. A lot of good shooters go there. And from, from my experience, you know, it's, it's hard being out West, especially in California. I'm not saying we don't have good trap shooters cause there's plenty of shooters that are phenomenal in the Western zone, but the really thick net competition really starts in the Midwest and works its way East. Mm-hmm. So I don't get to see a lot of those really good shooters too often, you know, growing up when I was that young and you really, if you want to really truly better yourself, you stay in the thick of it and you, you realize like how good you got to be and how hard you got to work to outshoot those guys. Mm -hmm. Cause they are just, yeah, there's some guys that I used to be like, I can't compare myself to them. And yeah, you know, I'd beat them every once in a while, some days. And then now looking back, I'm like, man, I'm going to have a, tough time trying to get back into this deal (laughs) and being in california too you have to drive so far oh yeah you know to to go to a state shoe versus like in indiana um three hours from where the ohio state shoot is um four and a half hours from kentucky five hours from michigan only 12 hours to to oklahoma which is not really that big of a deal if you think about it yeah. And it's like, for me, there's, there's some shoots. It's like, you know, you got to drive eight hours North or you're driving six and a half hours South. And it's like, you know, give or take a few hours. I can be at the Vegas, you know, I can be at the Nevada state shoot. I can be back in Tucson. Um, yeah. So it's just like, it's crazy how big it was and making those like central zone teams and stuff like that. Making those zone teams was, uh, it was rough because you had to shoot up North down South and some central. Yeah. So, so as far as favorite shooting memory of all time, what would it be? Yeah, I know you mentioned Sean Holly giving you your 27 yard pin. You got the world yeah. clay target championship. Is there anything else that, I mean, there's, there's a few, um, I don't think I can, I can't really pick. There's a few because they're special to me in different ways because of how, how they've impacted how not only I see life, but how I see the sport. And I'll share both of them briefly. One of them was last year at the California state shoot, um, watching Ethan Prescott shoot, you know, for the California singles title Mm -hmm. watching his dad, Ron, I finally got an understanding of what my dad must've gone through. Because I remember Ron just, he was sitting there and he was just like, he didn't want anybody talking to him. And I'm not sure if it was just my good looks, but he let me stand next to him. And I was just kind of like, dad, you're going to be good. I said, your son's got good instinct. Your son is just a good shooter. And I'm not sure what, what exactly I said to Ron, but I mean, Ethan ended up winning and he just gave me a big old hug. And that, that just opened my eyes to, you know, how parents truly like when their son is at that level, how they're, how parents are. I've never got to see my dad like that. Mm-hmm. So seeing Ron like that really opened my eyes to my dad's experiences. And second would be the, um, 
it was the Utah State shoot um, in Spanish Fork 2020. Um, the only reason I went out was for the um, um, one of my one of my buddies uh, from Utah, uh, Dalton Van. He passed away, and he was he was really close with uh, like Hunter Howe and um, Grayson Stewart. And he, he was a phenomenal guy. He taught me a lot about how to act, you know, to the new kid. He treated me in Vernal at that shoot where I got my 27. Dalton was the first kid to walk up to me, shake my hand and just, just be my friend. He introduced me to all the other guys that were running around and he was a really good impact on me as a person. Cause that's how I know I got to treat the, you know, the new kid. That's how I got to treat anybody in life. So going mm-hmm. for going to that service for him, it was, it was beautiful. It was heartbreaking. And that just made me appreciate life and this sport so much more because I got to laugh with my buddies, cry with my buddies about Dalton. And it's just his memory kind of mm-hmm. helps me keep this sport alive. I didn't know him that well, not as good as my, yeah. my other friends did, but a small interaction can change a lot in someone's life. Oh yeah. And as, as you know, like I, it's rare that you meet someone at a shoot that, that isn't, that wouldn't give you the shirt off their back. If you, if you needed it right yeah, there, he was willing to you have know? me stay in his camper with him. He was like, if you need food and it was just, it was crazy to me. Cause I mean, he was, he was just a few years older than I was. So it was just, it kind of blew my mind that, he was that nice to me. And I was like, it, it just showed me how I got to treat other people, treat others how you want to be treated. Mm-hmm. Now, do you have any superstitions when you're shooting? Ooh, that's a good one. I've never been asked that before. Um, I've, I don't think I got one on accident one time. Um, <laughs> so when I, when I got one of my shooting vests and I was shooting for my old team back in California, I found a quarter on the ground and I couldn't even tell you what state it was or year. There was nothing special about this quarter other than the fact that it's a quarter. I just put it on the inside pocket of my shooting vest and it never left. And then like over the course of like two years, I was like, it's my lucky quarter. And my gunsmith, um, Lucio, um, and Lucio is also one of the greatest men to have walked this earth, I think, in the world of trap shooting. Um, Lucio was like, hey, I need a spacer for your gun. He didn't say why, because I told him what was wrong. I was having problem mounting. He just said, I need a spacer about the size of a quarter. And I was just like, a quarter? And he was like, do you have a quarter? And I was like, I have my lucky quarter. And he goes, I need your lucky quarter. <laughs> so I took it out of my vest, gave it to him, and he just... He just stuck it in like the butt of my gun. Never said why. Yeah. So like it just, there's a quarter in there and he just, he handed it back and just said, you shoot good now. That's all he said <laughs> in his like broken English Italian accent. And I was like, all right. And I went out and I think the very next event, I think I got like a high nineties in caps. He never said how it would help me. He just said, give me your quarter, stuck it in my gun, and it's never moved since. That's your lucky quarter. It, that, that must be it. I think it was just <laughs> missing being in my stock. Yeah, it, 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 was, it, it, was, it was close, but not close enough, so you had to exactly in the gun. Yeah. 
Uh, last question here for you. Uh, best advice for a new shooter? I think the best advice I could ever give is don't give up on yourself. I think that's the... If you truly want to be dedicated to something, if you have that gut feeling that this is something you could be good at, I'm not saying that you have to... You know, you can walk in with just like natural talent, but it's another thing to develop skill. You know, you got to be forged in fire for that to happen. So I would say you just, you really got to put your nose down, dedicate yourself to it. You know, skip the high school prom, skip hanging out with your buddies on a Friday night. Just, you know, skip a weekend trip, you know, with your friends. Just don't give up. And you you put in as much as you want to, and you'll see the benefits. That's what I'd tell anybody. Is it just don't give up, and however much work you want to put in. Yep, you'll 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 get out what you put into it. Oh, for sure, and that's evident in any trap shooter you look at. I would say. How is there anyone um, before we close it out? Anyone you'd like to thank or give a shout out to? Yeah, um, besides my parents, I mean. Uh, I'd love to give a huge thank you to the uh, Kingsburg Gun Club and the Redlands Gun Club in California. Uh, they have been my home, away from home. Um, they are the greatest people, I think, in the, you know, they're the best. I absolutely love that organization so much. Uh, Steve Cloyd, my coach, uh, love him to death. Gary Beer, uh, Clyde Ulrich, Colton Tucker, Colton Vote, just my buddies, Chayton Vega. If he, if he listens to this, I've looked up to him since I was knee high to the grasshopper since I started. And of course, all the, all the California guys and all my friends that I shoot with on a regular basis, uh, here in the Midwest, um, Shelby Skaggs, uh, Cody, I peanut. Awesome. Well, thank you, Hunter, for joining us today and, uh, hope to see you out on the line in the 2024 target year. Before we close it out for the week, I want to thank my sponsors for supporting me here. Fioki Ammunition, do yourself a favor and try some shooting dynamics or white rhinos. Some of the best shooters in the game today shoot Fioki. Everybody's favorite gun dealer, Michael Gooch with the Indiana Gun Club. Stop in and check out his inventory at a shoot. Michael travels all over the Midwest and East Coast while providing top-notch service. AJ Supplies, they've been with us since day one. Be sure to reach out to AJ Supplies for all your reloading needs by calling 419-583-7133. Diamond 8 Leather. Randall creates quality leather gear for shooting enthusiasts. Visit d8leather.com for samples of his craftsmanship. Chet Herod with Herod Insurance. They've been servicing Ohio for three generations. Chet can be reached at 419-303-2218 or visit herodinsurance.com. Shamrock Sporting Arms. Jonathan travels all over the Northeast providing shooters with Pila glasses, Craigoff accessories, and ammunition. Visit shamrocksportingarms.com for more info. Ezoc CLP and Gun Care Solution, providing the best cleaning, dry lubrication, long-lasting corrosion protection, and leaves your shotgun looking brand new. Visit ezox.com for more info. Last but certainly not least, visit trapshootersunited.com. Orders here help support the show. I have Pila and Ranger shooting glasses, Trap Shooters United shirts, hats, visors, Go ahead and get your swag on for the next shoot. I also have a shooting journal that can be purchased on Amazon. This is a low-cost but extremely beneficial tool that's great for all competitive shooters, regardless of discipline. Keep notes from each shoot ranging from a practice session to the world championships. 
That's a wrap on this episode of the Trap Shooters United podcast. Thank you all for listening. Your support is greatly appreciated. See you all out on the trap line.